I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is my show. My friends come on and you know them. We talk about the sports you care about, basketball now, golf and the metronome of your life, baseball. Whether it's opening day, the big tournament, or one of the majors, we have the best to preview it and break down just what happened. And let's not forget the important stuff, the amount of daylight where I live, the importance of speedies, and the rankings of beach-style pizza. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Sports Radio 610 presents Seth Payne and Sean Pendergast. We coming to age time. Let's get the work in, man. Let's go. Hey, what's happening, everybody? Happy Wednesday to all of you. Nice to be with you. Appreciate you getting up with us. We are with you until 10 a.m. this morning. My name is Sean Pendergast. His name is Seth Payne. Good morning, my friend. How you doing this morning? I'm good. I'm uh, I'm watching the DeAndre Hopkins trade market. I've got the ticker on my uh, on my computer opened up. The question is, do you think the Arizona Cardinals? can get a second round pick and a crappy running back for DeAndre Hopkins. It's uh I don't know. It, <laughs> it it all depends. It all depends on whether they want a guy that can definitely 100% produce better than David Johnson. Right. Uh or yeah. David Johnson's replacement Rex Burkhead. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. We'll see what he gets. I don't it, it'll be interesting cuz this is 3 years later now, right? Going into the 2023 season the other trade was going into the 2020 season so this will be three years gosh it's been three years since that trade it has yeah it'll be three it'll be three years kids then weren't we it'll be three years in march we were young pups yeah yeah little pube mustaches and barely our voices were cracking and and now here we are we have a lot of bass in our voice and now no you know me no hair on top of my head it was uh it's it's been a time i think i was gonna be somebody yeah Yeah. i've given that up it's been a time so it's um so he's on the blocks uh, I, I saw Greg Rajan from the Chronicle tweeted something out yesterday that alarmed me at first, and then I realized it was just complete and total nonsense. Yeah. And he and Greg Rajan knew it was nonsense. Uh, it was some some gambling hotline had sent out emails uh, uh, saying that Cliff Kingsbury is the favorite to get the Texans' job for various reasons. I saw it, that uh, tweet. I did, yeah. I saw the headline and I, I got really super nervous for a second. It didn't make any sense. And then obviously, I, it does. I mean, it, does, it makes. I don't know why anybody even tried to peddle that tripe. To if they're if they're <laughs> trying to, is he actually the favorite on some odds boards? No, God no. Well, I don't oh, know. Okay. I I, I can't, Well, let me be clear. I haven't seen an odds board yet on the Texans head coaching search. I mean, yeah. it's it's you know it's, we're less than three days removed from Lovey getting fired. So. Um, so I, yeah, I, I, and we're getting a candidate list assembled here. I will say this. And by the way, for those wondering why Seth's bringing up DeAndre Hopkins, yeah, rumors out of Arizona are they are, they are shopping him in, in trade talks because, um, he wants a new contract (laughs) with two years left on his deal. Where have we uh, heard this before? (laughs) (laughs) Well, he wants a new deal. And, uh, so you got to trade him. Right. Cliff Kingsbury, the early favorite to be the next Texans head coach. Uh, I always expected that there'd be a you in the favorite. Like this is some Canadian trash or something. Uh, the Texans are in a bind. After firing two coaches after a single year, their reputation – okay, there is misspelled. Uh, their reputation has reportedly taken a hit around happen? the league. Yep, they've got the, uh, they've got the apostrophized there. So. The, the, problem, the, problem with, the problem with tweeting that, the problem with Greg and – I, and I love Greg yeah. Rajan. I think he does a great job over at the Chronicle. The problem with tweeting that is that Twitter, by and large – the lowest common denominator on Twitter, the intelligence level, not very high at all. Yeah. And they'll take it and run with it as if it's a real rumor. 
You know what I mean? Like That's there's right. people talking. Those. There's people yeah. talking right now based on Greg's tweet about Cliff Kingsbury as a prime candidate for the Houston Texans. You can't tweet. You can't some- tweet out something jokingly like that on Twitter. Unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, the worst are some of the accounts that have that they make it look like a very official quote where like Carmelo Anthony and have a picture of Carmelo graphic. Anthony it's very professionally done and then a graphic with a quote that says Michael Jordan was fat and lazy yeah. or something like that yeah. and then in a very small print underneath it it'll say there is no evidence that Carmelo Anthony ever actually said yeah this. that's not funny um, that that's not funny to me it's a way it's because it's one of those classic things where yes people should know better but you have to know. I mean, obviously, the people doing it know that people won't know better, right? And then it gets circulated, and all it takes is one moron blue check mark, which I don't even know what that means anymore, <laughs> to to retweet it, or just one you know bona fide journalist or something to be an idiot and retweet it, and yep. then there you go. And those guys, and that sticks in people's brains. Yes, like there are people out there right now. I can't remember which. It was like some Carmelo Anthony fake quote that was pretty damning like if it had been true it would have made Carmelo Anthony really look bad and there are still people out there who believe that he definitely 100% said that you know it's right uh, it's a shame right right that's why I I don't I don't I don't find it all that humorous anyways um so yeah Hopkins trade rumors found that interesting yesterday um so here we are um the Texans added a name to the list by the way Nick Casario joins us at 730 today for those uh, that was that was booked yesterday so we didn't get a chance to tease it on the show um, so if you're up early here and you're you know circling things on your calendar, we got a lot to get into with Nick that was not asked of him at his press conference on Monday. We've got follow-ups that need to be asked of him from that press conference on Monday. So the Texans GM joins us for his um, periodic visit with us here on Payne and Pendergast at 7.30 this morning. Um, the Texans, this is the only name I saw added to the list, Seth. Uh, according, Jordan Schultz was the uh, first person I saw tweet this, that the Texans have requested an interview with Mike Kafka, the offensive coordinator for the New York Giants. He is a former quarterbacks coach with the Chiefs when yep. uh, with Andy Reid over there. So he's coached, he's been Patrick Mahomes' position coach, and he's been the OC for uh, Daniel Jones in what has been a uh, a resurgent year for Daniel Jones. He was Pat Mahomes' position coach the year he won the MVP. Yes. Which, obviously, obviously we know the hazards of uh, just, you know, being Chicago and hiring a coach just because you came out of Kansas City or something. So, uh, Pat Mahomes and Andy Reid are a great combo, and a lot of other people are associated with them. I think the, the most notable work that Kafka has done so far is that he may have single-handedly saved uh, Daniel Jones' career. Um, like they're actually uh, – they the Giants – these are the two interesting guys. Um, the Giants and the Lions both had the highest improvement, the greatest improvement in offensive expected points added, EPA, uh, this year. So between Johnson, the offensive coordinator for the Lions, who's been linked to the Texans, and Kafka, the offensive coordinator for the Giants, like those guys have bona fide recent track experience taking quarterbacks like Jared Goff and Daniel Jones, who people were very much out on, um, or at the very least very skeptical of, and – and turn it in performances where you feel like, all right, you know what? These guys might be the guys. So if you're thinking about potentially 
getting a number one overall or a, a number two overall draft pick yeah. as a quarterback. It, it's a, it's intriguing that those two guys might be able to do some good work with him. I'm, I'm just encouraged by the nature and the profile of the candidates that the Texans are identifying so far. There's There's been six yeah. of them. There's been six of them, and they're all young uh, coordinators – you know, most of them offensive coordinators, but D'Amico's on there. I'm confident D'Amico would bring an offensive coordinator with him that would bring a new flavor to this offense. Um, Jonathan Gannon is the other defensive coordinator. The defensive coordinator from Denver is on there as well. Um, I just like the profile. Like Seth, we're not we're not watching these other openings get interviews with candidates that are viewed as blue chip candidates. And then the Texans are interviewing Heinz Ward, or the right. Texans are interviewing, <laughs> or the Texans are interviewing Jim Caldwell. That's what it felt like the last couple of years. Yeah. Is it? Fe- you felt like you felt like old Charlie Bucket there and Willy Wonka with your face pressed up against the window, and all the kids are dancing around inside the candy store eating all this candy, and you're outside with Heinz Ward and Jim Caldwell and Leslie Frazier with your face pressed up against the window, going, "Looks like they're having fun with their coaching search in there. This is miserable for us." This is better. These are candidates that other teams want. These are desirable candidates. These are candidates that are going to bring, I think, a progressive thinking, a young flavor. All of them, all six of them so far. We have yet to have a, a candidate on here where I'm like, okay, if they if they land on this guy, then you know, here we are again. You know, could we be a third one and done that kind of thing? Yeah. These all make sense, and that's that's my hope with this coaching search. That was my hope when they fired Lovey Smith as quickly as they did on Sunday. It's like, okay, they're not messing around. They know that this is a better job now. It's a more attractive job than it's been the last couple of years. So let's go sell it, man. Let's go get a guy. That's um, And Jonathan, it's interesting because Jonathan Gannon, I feel like part of what legitimized him as a candidate was the Texans interviewing him last year. <laughs> Even though everybody is talking about how stupid the list of candidates was for the Texans last year, uh, there's, these, these things are always very subjective, obviously. And um, but yeah, I, I I've never been a guy that feels like you got to go out and get an offensive coordinator or an offensive mind. But more and more, the trend in the NFL is that offensive coordinators get snapped up very quickly to be head coaches. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's hard to. I, I, no matter how smart or good a defensive coordinator is, or defensive minded coach is, I think his ability to hire a guy and retain him is a lot harder than it used to be. Yep. By the way, CBS Sports wrote an article that listed Cliff Kingsbury as the second most likely candidate for the uh, Texans. I'd be and shocked. This is, this is where uh, people of Houston, not just as Texans fans, but people of Houston need to be insulted. Because we are talking about the NFL, right? Yeah. We are yeah. talking about the NFL. How often do you see things like born and raised a few hours from Houston uh, as a reason okay. that the Texans would want to look at Cliff Kingsbury. That's just I swear, I, this is just – this doesn't factor in an NFL coaching searches. No. Rarely are they like, well, you know, this guy who just got fired and uh, nobody looks at as an actual candidate did grow up a couple hours from Houston, and he did play at Texas Tech, which is – Many, many hours from Houston, but it's got Texas in the name. Um, uh, so, you know, he'll probably go to Houston. Uh, Seth, 2003, Cliff Kingsbury, New England uh, Patriot. <laughs> he was a New England Patriot oh, they, yeah, in that, 2003. Yeah, was, <laughs> yeah. I'm being tongue those lessons from. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, and he actually, when he was cut, and I think when he was on the practice squad, I can't remember the exact story. He was kind of almost interning as a coach yes. with them. So he does like he does have some experience with those guys and uh 
in that crew. Yeah, yeah, including the general manager of the Houston Texans, Nick Casario, who joins us at 7.30 on the show today. Yeah. All right, um, Carlos Correa, the saga is over. How much does an, does an ankle injury almost a decade ago end up costing Carlos Correa? My God, we will tell you where he's landing and, more importantly, what the terms of the contract are. Man, Carlos Correa should have just stayed here. Uh, we'll tell you what happened next. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball and baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does, <laughs> nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Sports Radio 610 presents Payne and Pendergast. All right, so the Carlos Correa saga is over. As we speculated the day that the news came out that the Mets were getting cold feet because of the ankle injury that Correa suffered back in 2014, same as the Giants had gotten cold feet. Uh, The Twins were the first place we thought of that might get involved in this thing because that's where he was last year. They obviously, they know Carlos from a physical standpoint, um, they know him, how he fits into their clubhouse, which is very, very well. He goes back to Minnesota, Seth, on a six-year, two hundred million dollar deal, which is awesome. I mean, it's you know, it's thirty-three million a year, but I... but but I mean, a month ago, he thought he was getting the biggest deal in the history of the shortstop position. Yeah, thirteen years, three fifty. He gets six years, two hundred mil. There's another seventy million he can make over. Four more years. So it's got the potential based on plate appearances and different vesting options. It can turn into a 10 year, $270 million deal, but he is guaranteed, he's guaranteed six years, 200 million to go back to Minnesota. Man, I'll say what I said yesterday when we were speculating that Minnesota could be where he winds up. That's got to be a buzzkill for someone who's got that kind of, I don't know, Hollywood flair of Carlos Correa to think, I'm going to the Bay Area to play for the Giants. Barry yeah. Bonds played in a blue blood right. franchise. Oh, I'm going yeah. to the Mets. It's a big apple. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. You know, and yeah. not ahead. to mention like in New York, especially there's just like, a, there's a huge, it's a, a, a huge Puerto Rican American. Well, Puerto Ricans are Americans, Puerto Rican, um, Puerto Rican population. Yeah. That, uh, that just would have just been stoked and so loving of him. Yeah. Um, and, um, it's not quite like that in Minnesota. They I, have a big, yeah. yeah they've uh, the Prince was there. So I mean, like if he doesn't think if if maybe Prince isn't flashy enough for him, yeah. Then uh, then maybe Carlos just can't handle the bright lights, Minnesota biddies of Minnesota, the yeah. Twin Cities. Um, reportedly, the maximum the Mets offered in this. With the, I thought this is the most surprising part to me. It's not Carlos going back to to Minnesota. I I'm. I think we thought that was a distinct possibility once the Mets and the Giants started getting started getting uh, a little nervous about his his leg. Um, the Mets maxed out their offer at six years, one hundred fifty seven million dollars. So in theory, the Mets got outbid by the Minnesota Twins on this. And, and keep in mind, this was a, a signing that was celebrated by the Mets as the final piece of the puzzle. I find it curious that Steve Cohen, the owner of the Mets, who has spared zero expense in trying to put this team together. Like, the 
the, like the 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 competitive balance tax for him is a speed bump. Like he doesn't care about right. it. He's going to be right. spending half a billion dollars on salary and luxury tax, or at least he was bef- with if they had signed Correa. Um, I find it hard to believe that he let forty three million over the course of six years stand in the way of getting Carlos Correa, unless Carlos, you know, unless Carlos maybe just had ill will towards the Mets and the Giants that they well, let it get to this. Okay, I mean, I don't know. There's, but he's balancing out the the injury risk and concern too, though, isn't he? I mean, it's still it's still forty three million dollars, and it's uh... it, it is. But I'm surprised. I mean, the 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 Minnesota Twins went to six years, two hundred mil. The Minnesota Twins and yeah. and and the Mets, the guarantee that's the guarantee that Carlos ended up agreeing to. I'm just surprised yeah. that the Mets didn't. I'm just surprised that they let forty they million dollars that they wouldn't match that deal to get yeah. Carlos Correa for the first six years. Yeah, you know, yeah. I'm just yeah. a little surprised. I don't know. I guess, yeah. I mean, he probably also, you know, he doesn't want to be made a fool of. There's a, like, yeah, he's willing to spend and spend like up to a certain point, but um, he's, he, he being you know, oh, he, Cohen? He, yeah, Cohen. Yeah. Like, he didn't get to where he is by just flat out, you know, recklessly and wantonly spending. I think there's there's some method to his madness, I'm sure, with the, the Mets. Although people close to him have said, look, the guy, he collects art. He's got a billion dollars worth of art. And oh. just because he likes art, that's what he's going to do his baseball team. But art, just like with art, he might love the art, but he also looks at the art as something that's going to probably appreciate over time. No, you know? no, to be clear, if he were totally careless, yeah. he would have just stuck with the original deal and paid him $300 right, million right. to go there. I get that. I guess you know what it is, Sean. I don't think he probably looks at it as being outbid or beaten by the the twins. He's, he's like, all right, good luck, little fellas. Yeah. It's just all right if, if that's the risk you want to take, then so be it. Yep. That's uh, I'm I'm not feeling it. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I'm just surprised because they were boy, they were hailing that signing as the finishing move on a championship franchise. Yeah, but they were already like, everybody was already stoked about the Mets. Uh, you know, the Giants were the one that that was yeah. after after whiffing on. A Judge. reported signing of Aaron Judge. Yeah. Uh, the fan base there was just super grateful that they were in this Carlos Correa discussion, and they thought they had him locked down. Correa was there in San Francisco. I just wonder if this was a like a rare miscalculation by Scott Boris, uh, Correa's Correa's agent, because the, to I mean at the time to to hear the way the story was fed to people, seemingly by Boris. The Giants had just asked for a little more time to evaluate the ankle. Yeah. They hadn't bailed on the deal. And Boris just says, nah, I'm going to publicly diss you, and we're going to go off to the Mets before we even have a physical to investigate this ankle issue. Yeah, I, I guess my other thing, Seth, is, and I said this, I said this when Carlos Correa was sitting at the TBS studio desk at the Astro yeah. playoff games watching Jeremy Pena rise to superstardom in the postseason – I said it then, and, uh, and, and I think it even gets hammered home further with what the deal wound up being with the, the Twins. Um, I think Car- there's Prouder Carlos Correa that wishes he'd taken the Astros offer of five years, 160. You know, yeah. if, if you're watching Jeremy Pena turn into a star, the ALCS MVP and the World Series MVP, you're watching your former teammates celebrate a second world championship, a world championship that's viewed as redemption in some ways for the 2017 guys that are still on that team, of which you are one of them still. You're watching them celebrate, and you could have been on that team for $32 million a year, and the deal you wind up getting. Granted, he got 35 last year from the Twins, and he's getting six more now. So that's seven years, 235 You know, when you add it all up. I get it. But, um, but he, I mean, look, he stays in Houston, and he's an icon here in Houston. Now, yeah. you know, now he's, you know, he, he's, 
he's um you know he's just he's he's a really good player that left and now he's Minnesota's guy you know maybe he uh knew that he had an ankle that was made out of uh, delicate crystal and that he didn't want to be here and become known as a, a scourge of the team after he became uh, just a, a burden to carry around for 10 years with his with his fragile uh, uh, what was the what was the uh, what was the movie there with Robert uh, uh, with uh, where the guy got bashed in the ankles uh, up in the in the wilderness in Colorado the author old uh, lady <laughs> took him hostage and smashed him in the ankles. I don't know. I don't, oh, come I don't, on. No, it's I showed this. I showed, I showed the gift to you like two weeks ago. You're supposed to be my brain on you this. You did? Yeah. Okay, I don't remember. You know exactly what movie I'm... Misery. Misery. Oh, Misery. Okay. I've never seen yeah. Misery. What? I've never seen Misery. Oh. Well, you have to see Misery because that's an iconic reference that people make sometimes. I know, I know. <laughs> Evidently, <laughs> they get to it. <laughs> oft times, oft times they take forty-five. I, I'll seconds admit on that one, it. there were people in their car probably screaming, "Misery, yeah. <laughs> misery!" <laughs> <laughs> I get it. It's just one. Well, of, everybody's got their blind spots. Mine's Misery. I've never seen Misery. I, I kept wanting to say Robert Duvall, but it was James Caan, and uh, so oh. there's a scene. Spoiler alert, everybody, where he's he's basically taken in by this woman who's a huge fan of his after he has his car accident, and he's laying in bed, and this he it becomes very apparent that this woman is not going to let him go um, because she's unhappy with the way he finished his latest novel. She's devastated by it. So she's forcing him to write a new novel. Um, when he tries to make an escape, she says what she's going to need to do is cobble him. And you're like, what's cobbling? And she says, this is what it is. She puts a block, like a four-by-four, between his two ankles, then ties his ankles together and takes a big old sledgehammer and whacks both of his ankles into nothingness. That sounds painful. So that, yeah, Carlos Correa has Kathy Bates' ankles. Yep, Kathy Kathy Bates, yes. Got a flat tire. Um, By the way, um, is Tulsa King over now? Is that, was this last episode uh, the, fi- the finale? Yeah, I think that was the, fi- I think that was the finale. Okay. Either that or they all do these half episodes. Like, like Yellowstone's in the middle of the, the season. Yeah, right? yeah. Like they, they, had the- they had their mid-season finale a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah, yeah um, Yellowstone can go die. I'm done with that show. Um, I'm going to hate, hate watch it, but I'm with you on that. You and I are of like mind on that one. As far as the guy that produces all those things, what's his name? Tyler Durden. Uh, what is it again? <laughs> Taylor something or other, right? Yeah. Taylor Swift. I don't, yeah, I don't Taylor, know. Uh, I like, Taylor Sheridan. I like, Taylor Sheridan. Taylor Sheridan. Yeah. I like, I like Tulsa King. Yeah. I like the 1923, which is the new one, yeah. uh, except that they have that god awful woman from 18, 1883, 1883 yeah. narrating yeah, the, the daughter, worst, the worst character I've ever met and that I wanted dead from like midway through right. 1883. She's narrating. That's the only bad part of it. So far, Tulsa King and 1923 are the only two of those Taylor Sheridan series where I actually like the characters. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I actually, I'm not wishing death upon all of these main characters yes. that I guess I'm, I'm supposed to actually like. Yeah. So uh, those, are the, those are my recommendations. Stallone's great in Tulsa King. Oh, he's awesome. I don't he's want great. him to die. No, no, I don't want no. his daughter to die. Yeah. I don't want any of his cohorts to die. No. I barely even want any of his enemies to die. I know. I was kind of en- sad when one of his enemies <laughs> died even yeah. the enemies are great in that yeah thing. whereas like these other yellowstone i'm like i hate everybody everybody yeah on here i just can't wait until they all die tulsa king Miserable is deaths. tulsa king is simple too you don't have to think very much watching tulsa king you know what i mean the like the thing about the it, lines yeah. are drawn yeah like i can i can watch that very easily <laughs> all right um nick casario texans gm gonna join us 
about an hour from now. We got a lot to get into with uh, with Nick Casario, so we look forward to him joining us at seven thirty on the show. All right, Lovey Smith is gone. Um, he he's uh, he was fired. Um, let's go into the kind of the autopsy of Lovey's firing here. I think there's I think there's about a half dozen things that over the course of the year, really over the course of the first maybe half to two thirds of the year, we knew what direction this thing was going. I'll tell you what they were next. Sometimes divorce is a good thing. Live from the Twin Peaks studios, Sports Radio 610 presents Payne and Pendergast. Here was Nick Casario at his press conference on uh, Monday talking about uh, Lovey Smith and the uh, the firing of Lovey Smith. Time to move on from the head coach. You know, before we move forward, I think it's important for for myself, I know Cal has mentioned it, to acknowledge uh, the contributions and leadership that Lovey provided this program over the past two seasons in a variety of different roles. So a lot of respect and appreciation and admiration for Lovey as a person, what he did for our team, what he's done for a lot of people in our building. He had a very positive impact on a lot of different people. In the end, after a careful, thoughtful research and evaluation of our program, we felt, I felt, that this was the best decision for our program moving forward. All right, so that was that was Nick, and that's his decision. You can hear him at the end there. We felt, and then he corrected himself, I felt. Maybe he was supplementing that, the we with the I. But uh, Nick Casario and the Texans moving on from Lovey Smith. Seth, I think if we're just going back through Lovey Smith, because there, there's certainly plenty of people out there that are upset that the Texans um, moved on from Lovey Smith. I feel like most of them are outside of Houston, and I'm not saying that to be funny. I'm, I, like, I feel like similar to David Culley. Similar, not identical, but similar to David Culley. A lot of the national people are looking at this as, um, hey, this guy was handed not much material to work with. Hey, yeah. he won three games. You know, hey, he won three games, and they were competitive. Look at look at the final scores of most of their games here. That's a pretty competitive football team. These are largely people who didn't watch a single down of Texans football all season long. They're just looking at the Texans' scores on their schedule. Um but I do feel like the reaction outside of Houston, more so than in Houston, has been that Lovey Smith, Lovey Smith got a raw deal in some way. Well, I think that there's, um, it's interesting. There's kind of a dividing line, in, in the, you know, and and honestly, there's room for the racial discussion with either side of this dividing line. Yep. But I think that I think that people in Houston, if they're upset on racial bounds have a different perspective from people outside of Houston who kind of have a knee-jerk reaction. Outside the city of Houston, people are saying, how could you fire Lovey Smith? Inside the city of Houston, people are saying, how could you hire Lovey Smith? How could you hire David Culley? How did that happen? And then it's, okay, are you hiring a black coach just because it checks off a box and you know it's a lost season. You know, there's a, there's a racial discussion to be had there, but it's just different than the flyby that people are doing from, from outside the city. As far as, though, I think the, the people that are upset just in general for, about the whole situation in Houston, it's how did you hire these guys? Why was it like this? You know, you must be held accountable for this. Outside the city of Houston, it's uh, I can't believe you fired two guys who actually weren't good at football. Right? It's um because I and I feel like amongst our listeners and amongst Texans fans and everything, I feel like it's pretty balanced um, as far as like black, white, Hispanic, anything. Like people in most Texans fans didn't think Lovey Smith was the answer moving forward. Yeah. But all the processes that led to the hire of him, that's a that's a whole quagmire of different uh, discussions yeah. you can get into. Yeah, ab- no, absolutely. Um I you know that 
I, to me, it just boils down to, and we'll get into the details here in a second. But like, you know, ask the question when someone gets fired, just ask the question: Were they good at their job? And forget about all the well, he was handed this, and this was the roster. Was he good at his job? And I think the answer with Lovey Smith was, by and large, was the answer was no. And so as soon as you're not good at your job, you expose yourself to the possibility of being let go at whatever it is that you do. That's business. That's the way it works. As far as us seeing this coming, and when did it start to feel to me, Seth, like this is what's going to happen with Lovey Smith? There were a handful of things. The first was the decision to... It happened in week one. The decision to go for the tie in week one was... Semi-win. Okay. The decision to go for a semi-win in week one was... That wasn't a fireable offense, but I will say it felt like a bit of a warning sign as to maybe Lovey's nature when it came to, you know, Lovey maybe living more in the 90s than living here in the 2020s, you know? Um, You know, going, like, conservatively, and especially looking at the team that he had, realistically, and saying, boy we got to get this tie because that may be the difference between us being in the postseason or not. You've got to, right, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which, again, though, I think some of that, both in the beginning and the end of the season, I think there is a disconnect between people that are looking at it from a different perspective than a coach on the field, um, where I don't know if the coach – the coach isn't necessarily handicapping his team's chances of the playoffs yeah. in general. Uh, you know, he's – I think if he was, I think what he probably was thinking, hey, if we do make the playoffs – it'd be likely come down to a hair's width of, of some kind of difference. So maybe go for the tie right now. Um, not to mention, remember that people keep getting this wrong, Sean. People keep comparing the decision-making in the last game to the decision-making in the first game. Because somebody yesterday said, well, you know, in the first game of the season, Lovey went for the – he went for two uh, because he uh, – no, in the first game of the season, uh, he – he kicked the extra point just to go for a tie instead of going for two. I'm like, what are you talking about? No. In the first game of the season, it was at the end of overtime. There was no time left, and the Texans punted and almost guaranteed a tie at that point. Versus this year, at the end of the, this game, Lovey had been trying to win all game long, which I, nobody seemed to have an issue with that. Um, the Texans blew a big lead, but then at the very end of the game, when he was still trying to win, somehow that became an, uh, a bleep you, uh, where if they had kicked the extra point, they would have gone into overtime. There was still 12 more minutes of football to play, yeah. presumably after which Lovey would keep trying to win the game. So I don't, I don't understand all of that, but you're right. The going for the tie, he got started off on the wrong foot. The same way Nathaniel Hackett got off on the wrong foot in Denver by – by letting 36 seconds run off the clock so they could attempt a 64-yard field goal. Yep, yep. Number two, the Rex Burkhead fetish. That frustrated the hell out of everybody. And then maybe that was Pep, but Pep was Lovey's guy. The decision, the decisions Pep makes and Pep's performance are on Lovey's ticket. Yeah. You know, so, the, the, I mean, if, if Lovey's a head coach, he could have stepped in, and, and I think eventually he did because Rex got a, a whole lot fewer touches, but there was still yeah. the weird Rex Burkhead targets on third down thing that went all season long. That was the thing, okay, because, okay, first of all, Casario, you know, is responsible for that too. The running back roster was what it was, yeah. and the coach is going to play who's on the field. So it's been curious for a couple years now, uh, before even Casario got here, with the running back composition. There's always just one decrepit veteran on the on the depth chart. At least. Um, so I guess the, the the question is the usage of him. Yeah. It's one thing if you want to just spread the 
the carries and the touches out. But, yes, Rex Burkhead continuing to be the guy that was the go-to on third down um, or in the red zone at various times. It just it – was, it was the oddest thing. Yeah. Because he never showed any evidence at all of being able to run after the catch. And they would continue to throw to him five yards shy of the sticks and, and hope that – something nice might happen. Seth, literally till the bitter end, the play before the Hail Mary against Indianapolis yeah. was a one-yard gain to Rex Burkhead in the flat on third and 13. Like, that's... Yeah. Like, it was, or that... No, sorry, that was the play before the Brandon Cooks catch on fourth down. But still, on the final drive of the season, they're still targeting Rex Burkhead on third down. I'm going to combo these two, number three and four, on the reasons why, in retrospect, Lovey's not here anymore. The horrific stretch of run defense which I guess we can just call the entire season. But there was a particularly bad stretch that kind of started with the Bears getting 300 yards rushing in week three and yeah. extended through, like passed through the bye week with the Titans and, and, yeah. and with the Giants and Saquon Barkley and so forth. And then the horrific stretch of first-half offense coming out of the bye week where over a five-week period they had four games with under 100 yards of total offense in the first half Three of those games, they had under 40 yards of total offense in the first half. And in one of those games, they had five yards of offense in the first half. Those, those two stretches Which, of, just horrific, of just horrific football from yeah. entire units of your team are just unacceptable. Which game was the five yards? I think it was Washington, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, I'd have to go gosh. back and look. Yeah, the run defense was uh, – the, the worst thing about the run defense for me was when I realized how beaten down people were yeah. by watching bad football. That After the – I think it was the Dolphins game where the Texans allowed over 160 yards of rushing and people afterwards were saying, the run defense looks improved. Yeah. Um, that was, and it was really only – that was only because Mike McDaniel just decided he wasn't going to run the ball that day. Yeah. He just decided to keep getting – that was the beginning of the end. By the way, everybody – if you want something to hang your hat on, that was the beginning of the end for Tua Tungavailoa. When he got sacked three times at the beginning of that uh, second half and Mike McDaniel took him out of the game because he idiotically kept passing, he, w- he was awful after that. They were a miserable football team after that. He was completing about 52% of his passes after that. It was, uh, it was really, really bad. Yep. So good job, Texans. Yep, yep. Texans pass rush, which was actually respectable this year. Ruined Tua Tungavailoa. Um, number five for Lovey. I'm going back. We're going back through the the reasons why Lovey Smith ultimately um, was cut loose from his job. All the ones we brought up so far are on the field stuff. I do wonder kind of how his snippy handling of things like the quarterback change from Mills to Allen um, affected. I that's more of a public relations thing, I think, than an obviously than an on field thing. Like you know, there's nothing in the standings that. There's no column in the standings for how your coach handles press conferences. But I think it was very telling. I think it was the Miami game. I think it was very telling that Cal McNair showed up at one of Lovey Smith's postgame press conferences during that horrible, horrible stretch of football. Oh, you uh, think so? Yes, I do. Yeah. I do. I do. That, that he showed up and stood in the back, reportedly stood in the back of the room when Lovey Smith was really at his, he was at his rock bottom in terms of handling the media, being very Uh-oh. snarky and condescending and sarcastic, and I'm not saying that's why you go and fire the guy, but I'm telling you when you're 3-13-1, and one, it don't help. He was like, hey, man, you, you signed on for this and uh, contributed to it. So, yeah, let's not, let's not go all Bill O'Brien. Yeah, you're, no, you're, three, you're, 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 three, you're the, at the time the worst team in football, 
and you're playing in yeah. empty stadiums at home, you yeah. can't have a coach who is turning people off. Sean, well, that was another thing, too. Another, uh, another thing where I saw the detrimental effects on the psychological health of the fan base. I, I saw various intelligent football fans gloating about how they were right about Davis Mills being better than um, being better than Kyle Allen after Kyle Allen was benched again. Like, no, it, nobody, nobody thought Kyle Allen was going to be good. They just figured five yards of offense in the first half, yeah. you might as well try something different. Yes. It doesn't get any worse than it is right now. Or if it does, it doesn't, you can't even tell the difference. It's like the difference between 105 degrees in humid or 109 degrees in humid. Right. It all sucks. Right, right. So that's what it was with Kyle Allen, with Davis Mills, whoever it was. It all sucked. Yep. So, or... Or you could look at it from this perspective, too. Uh, Davis Mills seems to be one of these special dudes who just actually needs to have his ass kicked to get motivated. Because two years in a row now, once he gets his ass kicked and realizes, like, oh, I guess I'm not in Stanford anymore. They expect performance out of Mm -hmm. me. (laughs) Henceforth, Mm -hmm. I shall deliver more effort onto the football Mm -hmm. field. Mm -hmm. I'm going to tell you another thing, too. I don't trust, you know what, anymore? Mm -hmm. I don't trust a dude who's a five-star recruit, top quarterback recruit, who decides to go to Stanford instead of, um, you know, an Alabama or someplace like that just because it's a better education. You can go get your – you know what? You can go get your education when you're done making millions of dollars and winning Super Bowls, okay? Yeah, you can get a fine education at Alabama and then go get your master's degree at Stanford or something. Is this a corollary? Is this a corollary of your theory that your quarterbacks and your head coaches need the least amount of perspective on life? Yes. Is this a God, flavor yes. of that? Yeah, okay. Yeah, the last person I want is a well-rounded individual as my quarterback. Look at what's going on with Aaron Rodgers. He's got perspective on life and now he sucks. It's the worst thing that can happen to a young athlete. Who do uh. you who do you feel like is who do you feel like is worse well-rounded, Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud? Who's, oh, who's the lesser right. well-rounded of the two, do you think, from what we well, know of Well-rounded is different than having perspective. Like, oh, okay. I feel like Peyton Manning was well-rounded. But sometimes, see, they've got to be driven to achieve academically by okay. deep deep down demons too like they have to they have to like they have to they have to be trying to crush somebody then without without yeah. without categorizing semantics and so forth which of the two do you feel like as of right now it can change fits yeah. your profile better of a quarterback between those two i think bryce young would be more obsessive about it mm-hmm. yeah like i could see it taking over his life maybe more more so yeah but that's not i haven't done a deep dive on really getting to know a lot of the coaches and court like the actual personalities yet that's why so that's i caveat I wanted... that it can change i'm just curious yeah, perspective. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, early yeah. Like, i get it yeah, yeah. and i know that, like that's my first impression but right. we'll see right i gotta see um yeah like people always used to i like honestly People used to criticize Aaron Rodgers for not talking to his family, and I'm like, that's awesome. Like, what are you, what are you talking about? This guy's warped in the brain. Of course, he's got something is driving him. He probably made amends with his family this last off season. Worst thing he could have done. That's Worst why thing he they went done. eight and nine. That's <laughs> why. Look at the great ones: Sean, yeah. Larry Bird, Michael Jordan. Tom Brady, right. you got to mess it up in your personal life a little bit if you want to be great. Right. My God, right. Albert right. Einstein. Yep. You know what, Albert? Go read the letter that Albert Einstein <laughs> wrote to his wife about expectations for their marriage. It was messed up, really stuff, man. Okay. Messed up. Oh yeah, I've not heard of this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, oh, recommended reading from Seth. <laughs> like Payne. You're only allowed to talk to me a certain amount of time oh, per day God. and all this. Okay. It was, okay. uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> then I think he ditched his wife for his cousin or something. Okay. Uh, yeah, I feel like there's a Tennessee joke coming, but anyways, it's a different time back then, right? 
Einstein. Well, only time Einstein would have set foot in Tennessee was for the Manhattan Project, possibly. <laughs> and, uh, beyond that, they had to import all the all the brain talent for that that project. Last one, last one on Lovey on my autopsy of Lovey's firing. The back to back weeks where they just did unspeakable, unspeakable misdeeds at the goal line. When they had that series against the Browns, where Damian yep. Pierce was healthy but not in the game, and they went, you know, they went four downs in goal line, and Damian Pierce wasn't out there. Their fourth down, got to have it play, was a missile in the flat to Troy Hairston that got Troy oh. Hairston murdered from oh, Kyle that's Allen. Right. He did, yeah, he got him murdered. Um, there was also the sequence on the goal line in da- with, Dallas uh, the following week. Yeah, that's what uh, I was going to yeah, say. Bur- Oh, you were going to say that. Yeah, yep. Burkhead on third and third and one. Yes. Burkhead got crushed. Yes. And then they ran a razzle-dazzle like uh, counter rollout. This is what it turned into, at least. I don't know what they were intending yeah. to do. Yeah. Because everybody, that was another thing about Pep Hamilton. There were at least three guys doing the exact opposite of what they were probably supposed to do on that play. It was really bad. His, his razzle-dazzle was more like, oh, razzle, I pooped my pants. Oh, dear. <laughs> oh, dear. Doesn't even rhyme. Yeah. We're going to split. We're going to split the offensive tackles out. Right. It'll fool everybody. Then we're going to bring him back in. Somebody's going to get a, uh, uh, an illegal motion or an illegal procedure, and then we're, uh, that, that way we can just go ahead and punt. They yeah. had four downs to clinch the Cowboy game, and two of them they put in Rex Burkhead's hands and the other two they put in Driscoll's hands. Those are fireable offenses. I'm sorry. And I know Pierce was hurt at the time. He'd sprained his ankle. There's yeah. 10 other better options than those two clowns on the roster. Well, well Sean, and then, oh, gosh, uh, it's the second to last. It was the last home game, wasn't it? When they, they, they ran the same play on third and one, third and one, and fourth and one, basically. They went to the same spot on the line three times in a row. Yeah. And the, the offensive line was getting destroyed. They got lucky on the first one. Um, and, and converted because of a bad spot. And then the offensive line kept getting destroyed, and Pep Hamilton kept going to back to the exact same spot. And Driscoll, Driscoll can't do a quarterback sneak. Why do they not Why do they not see that? One of the dumbest quarterbacks I've ever seen in terms of actually getting a quarterback sneak. Blind. Deaf, dumb, and blind. No offense to deaf, dumb, and blind people who actually probably can convert it there because, yeah. because unlike – Driscoll, who has no eyesight, those deaf, dumb, and blind people would right. have developed their other senses and sensed and smelled uh, and felt exactly where the hole was. Right. Not Jeff Driscoll. No nope. offense to these people who can't hear the show, but no offense to you. Right. Exactly. They can uh, read transcripts. That's true. Braille. That's true. <laughs> they can do Braille. it faster than Driscoll can find a hole on a In QVC. Braille, yeah. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> All right. There was a quote from an opposing GM that I think made a lot of Texan fans nervous for the exact fear that they had in losing out on the number one overall pick. We will hear from that GM next. Nick Casario joins us, bottom of the 7 o'clock hour. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. 
This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball. And baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does. <laughs> Nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.